my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Welcome to the Black Girls Heal podcast, where we talk about healing our intimacy disorders, unresolved trauma, and building a healthy relationship with first ourselves and then others. Every episode, we will talk about advice you can apply today to break unhealthy patterns and grow in your self-worth. I'm Sheena Lachey, love addiction coach and trauma specialist. Let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Black Girls Heal. I hope that you are having a wonderful day wherever you are and that you are feeling loved and special. So today's episode is part of a series of episodes that I want to share around womb work and healing. Now, I won't be all together at one time because as y'all know, if you are listeners, you know, there are lots of different topics and things that we discuss here. But one thing I haven't discussed at length is the importance of our womb. So here we talk about relationships, we talk about attachment, we talk about self-esteem, we talk about self-love, and our womb and our relationship to our womb is deeply connected to all of those things. So do we feel confident in our connection to pleasure? Do we feel a lot of pain in our womb? Is the pain that we feel physical? Is it connected to our emotions? Is there a detachment that we have to our womb and our connection to it that we just tolerate it because it's there? Or do we fully embrace it? How do we feel when we are sharing our womb space with other people, whether or not it is lovers, whether or not it is our children? And again, just with ourselves. And so this is a very abstract concept that we'll be breaking down throughout the year, but we're going to start very practically today. And we're going to start with physically our connection with our womb. And this topic came about, we're going to be talking about our pelvic floor and we're going to be talking about pain that may be there. We may be talking about dysfunction that is there because I hear, I hear remnants of this between women often. So I'll say this, there are many things that happen within our womb space, within our pelvic floor that is unhealthy and that is a sign of something that needs to be healed that we tolerate because we've been told that it's just part of being a woman. So think about how many of us hear that it is normal for us to pee when we sneeze or when we laugh, especially after childbirth. Think about how many of us are suffering with pelvic pain during intercourse or when tampons are inserted or we are dealing with bowel issues and we just think that there's something wrong with us. We think that we're the only one. Or again, we think that this is just part of the curse of womanhood, or it's just part of life or getting older. We may have prolapses. We may have rips and tears during childbirth, and we are just dealing with the remnants of it, thinking that, again, that this is just something that happens. And because we don't hear from doctors and we don't hear from other people that this is something that we can just move forward with, especially with with pelvic pain, we're told to just relax. We're told to just go and get a glass of wine. We're told that there's something wrong with us. When I think about those of us who may have, I'm going to focus on pelvic pain because it's the one I hear the most often within the women that I serve. 
When I think about the women who may have religious trauma, or not even religious trauma, just religious teaching, that doesn't talk about building a healthy, intimate connection to your womb space. And then when it comes to share intimacy with your partner eventually, if it's something that you have been withholding, finding that is not so pleasurable of an experience. And then again, wondering if there's something wrong with you. So in today's podcast, I have Dr. Alicia Jeffrey Thomas, one of my favorite pelvic floor physical therapists, coming and talking with us about pelvic floor dysfunction, breaking down all of the things that we hear that is common for us that we don't have to be experiencing, that there is healing and recovery for so that we can move in wholeness and in pleasure and without experiencing pain and detachment when these things are occurring behind the scenes. So let's go ahead and jump on in. I hope that you enjoy this episode and I hope it gives you some tips and next steps. If there's anything that's mentioned here that are things that you've been silently or maybe not so silently dealing with in the background, you don't have to deal with this. It doesn't have to be this way. And I hope you find the support that you need. Let's jump on in. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. All right. So today on the podcast, I have Dr. Alicia Jeffrey. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. I was telling you before we got started, I am such an incredible fan of your work. You have really helped me. You've helped my friends. I found you by a friend sharing your TikToks with me as we've talked about our own pelvic floor journey. And you have just made healing so tangible and real and fun and loving. And I am just so happy to have you here. Thank you so much. That that really means a lot to hear. Yes, it's the truth. And I want to pour into you because, you know, having a public platform is not easy, no matter how beloved you are. So I just want you to know, like, these are the lives that you're changing. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's definitely not something that I ever expected for myself. I never set out to be like, I'm going to be a social media star, whatever. You know, it, it was very much an accidental thing when I realized that people would resonate with the way that I explained things. And so it's been kind of a really happy accident. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to dig in so people can get all the awesomeness that I get to see every day. (laughs) But let's just go ahead and jump in. Can you tell my audience who you are and what it is that you do? Sure. So my name's Alicia. I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist. Most people don't know what that means. I am a doctor of physical therapy with additional training in pelvic floor rehabilitation, which basically means that I treat everything that you don't want to talk about with your friends from the belly button down. So I am your go-to person for bladder problems, bowel problems, pelvic pain. So think people who have you know, pain with sex, or if they have, you know, tailbone pain or sacroiliac pain, anything kind of in that region, belly button down, that is where I tend to thrive. The pelvic floor muscles are basically these muscles that run from your pubic bone to your tailbone, and they're responsible for all of those kind of sphincteric functions of the body. And so I'm the person that works to basically retrain them when they either get you know, too weak, or if they're too tense, there's a whole bunch of different things that can happen there. And so that's what we do. And so, you know, my platform came about in 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic, I made an Instagram account with the intent of just making content to keep up with my current patients when they didn't feel comfortable coming into the office. And I was using TikTok 
the app just to scroll, but was using their video editor because it was really intuitive to me, not really thinking of, oh, I'm posting these, but I'm just retaking the file and posting it somewhere else. And so at one point I realized that one of my videos that I had just posted was going extremely viral for no reason. I feel like of of all the content that I've created, I'm like surprised that it was that one, but it was kind of this idea of what is a pelvic floor therapist. And so I all of a sudden had to become, you know, a more consistent content creator and it kind of took on a life of its own there. Yeah, I think I think people who are experts underestimate how much the regular folks don't understand and don't get it. You know, I you don't know this about my background, but I am a trained therapist. I actually, my master's is in marriage and family therapy. So I was doing couples work and family work. And then my specialization was helping women have healthy relationships. And I am in a body and I have genitals that identify as sexually female, you know, and it wasn't until years into my practice that I happened to go to a training on sex therapy. And I've been to other sex therapy trainings before that they had a guest speaker who was a pelvic floor physical therapist and talking about pelvic floor dysfunction and pain during sex and all of these other things and that they were trained, you are trained to help with that. And I was like, what is this? It blew my mind and it just opened up the world to me. And I was like, why doesn't everyone know this? And personally, it really helps because at that point I've suffered from fibroids. And so I had fibroids that were getting so big that I could feel them and my I would have my friends feel like these lumps inside of me. And I was having all of this pain and I would go to gynecologists at the time and they would just tell me it's in my head. And I was having all these, all, right? Like all this dysfunction <laughs> afterwards. And they were telling me, well, there's nothing you could do. So when I found pelvic floor physical therapy, I was like, oh, I haven't had to suffer all this time. And it's a, it's, it's covered by insurance. Like it was just like wild to me. And it's, it's truly, truly frustrating how long people can go without getting treatment, because if it's not something that the public knows about, and there are, you know, a lot of times our physicians are hesitant to refer to pelvic PT for whatever reason, either it doesn't align with like, oh, you have stress incontinence, you have, you know, like these three things that they think that we can do when we have this much larger, you know, breadth of knowledge and things that we can help. And so there's people that have, you know, severe pelvic pain that are waiting six, seven years on average before they're actually able to get in to see a specialist. Absolutely. Absolutely. So some of the things that I really love about, I mean, one of many, I could, you're going to hear me compliment you like 18 million more times. (laughs) One of the things that I really love about your platform is how you're really good about educating us on things that we think are normal and just part of the human experience, part of being a woman that, because I know most of your content speaks to women, even though you treat men as well, but that isn't normal. So for example, having a child and then peeing, having to pee all the time or having trouble peeing or stress incontinence or pain during sex. So can you kind of just recap some of those things that people have normalized? Of course. Yeah. I mean, I think the the biggest one you you started with, you know, we we've kind of normalized this idea that when someone has a baby, oh, it's just normal if you sneeze and pee your pants, or you can't jump on the trampoline anymore, or you can't do these activities. And that's just how it's going to be for the rest of your life. Or there's a surgery that may or may not help you. And nobody really talks about the fact that these are muscles that get retrained. And, you know, in other countries, for example, in France, you get like six guaranteed visits to a pelvic floor physical therapist that just happens 
automatically after birth. We don't have that same kind of setup here. You know, I would say other other normal things or things that we think are normal that aren't, some of it comes down to when we're potty trained as kids. So, you know, the idea that like we should always pee before we leave the house, we really honestly shouldn't be doing that in a lot of cases because that can actually train our bladders to not be able to hold as much. We could get into a whole conversation about, you know, whether you should sit down on toilets versus hovering over toilets. There's this big misconception that you're going to catch an STD or you're going to get a UTI if you sit on a public toilet. And really the data isn't there to support that because you're not touching the toilet with your urinary tract, but you can actually do a lot of damage to your pelvic floor muscles by hovering to the point where it can lead to difficulty with issues holding your bladder. It can contribute to pelvic pain or to prolapse or to other things like that. You know, and I would say that, uh, I mean, I feel like- Pain during during sex is a big one for a lot of us. Yeah. So, so, I mean, even starting from your first sexual experience, right? It's always been told that, oh, your first sexual experience is going to be painful. You're going to bleed. It's going to be blah, 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 blah. And so, you know, if people, A, your first sexual experience does not have to be painful. It's not guaranteed that it's going to be. And when we have this harmful narrative out there that it's expected to be painful, then people think that something's wrong with them when there isn't pain. But I digress. Then it becomes this whole thing of people can have pain during sex and they're afraid that something is wrong with them or that they're not doing something right in the bedroom. And so they don't talk about it, right? They don't bring it up to their partner. They'll just like grit their teeth and try to get through it and and not really get to enjoy something that is made for them to enjoy, right? If sex was supposed to hurt, it would not be nearly as popular. So (laughs) I there's, there's a, there's a huge misconception there. And and that can span the whole lifespan from, you know, people who have pain from their first sexual experience, and then it just continues, or maybe people who develop pain with intercourse after having a child, or even those who develop pain with intercourse after they, or as they're going through menopause and maybe have some hormonal changes, you know, at none of those points should intercourse be painful. There are always things that we can do to treat this, to help this. And it's, it's not an indicator of, of health and normalcy to have pain. So exactly. Yeah. So when I was having pelvic pain, it was absolutely caused by the fibroids. And even when they were gone and part of it, which I, I'm going to ask you about in a little bit is I think my therapist said that I had hypertonic roars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you'll, you'll say the right words, but <laughs> that was, they were just overly frozen, but it was because I had had so much trauma from the bleeding, from the pain, from all the things that happened that that part of my body was just like on lockdown and I had to do the exercises, right, to help that part get released. So can you talk about that and then also Kegels and (laughs) how that may or may not affect them? Sure. Yeah. So basically, you know, a, a hypertonic pelvic floor is a pelvic floor that has a difficult time relaxing. So if we think about the jobs that the pelvic floor needs to be able to do, it needs to be able to contract to hold things in like, you know, bowel and bladder functions, but then it also needs to be able to relax in order to let things out or in, you know, the case of sex to let things in. But, you know, if you're 
pelvic floor muscles are too tight, a lot of times that does come from kind of a, a learned or a patterned response when there is something that is driving the pain. So in your case, it was the fibroids that were creating kind of this painful environment and your muscles kind of guarded up as a response to that. So basically, you know, almost like a fight or flight type of response with your muscles. For some people, I'll see it happen if they have, you know, a UTI, they treat the UTI, the UTI is gone, there's no more bacteria, but they still have the symptoms of a UTI, that pressure, that, you know, difficulty using the bathroom or frequency of using the bathroom. And that's because their pelvic floor is still kind of in spasm or hypertonic or just continuing to be upset in some way. And so, yeah, there's a lot of things that we do in pelvic floor therapy to kind of bring down that tone. And so then you mentioned Kegels, right? And so a Kegel is just another name for a contraction of the pelvic floor. And so if somebody has a hypertonic pelvic floor, probably the last thing that they would want to be doing is Kegel exercises because that's just further tightening the muscle. And so it's limiting its range of motion that it's allowed to work in. And so there can be people who have, this is kind of one of those common things that it's a misconception that just, you know, if you have leakage, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a low tone or weak pelvic floor. You could very much have a hypertonic pelvic floor that's super, super guarded and still be having leakage because that limited range of motion of the muscle means that that pelvic floor can't adapt and respond to, you know, a cough or a sneeze or a jump or some kind of change in pressure there. You know, pelvic floor contractions can be really useful in people who have more pelvic floor weakness, you know, and I shy away from using a lot of Kegels in isolation because we have to kind of think about the pelvic floor as part of the whole rest of the body and managing, you know, intra-abdominal pressure. So, you know, if you jump or cough or sneeze, it's not just the pelvic floor that's taking on all of that weight. It's what are your abs doing? What is your diaphragm doing? You know, what are, there's all of these other things that are supposed to be absorbing force. And so it's very, very rare that the answer is just do Kegels. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And especially because I think I remember being in elementary school and there or middle school and people talking about doing Kegel exercises. Like we learn about it. So I learned it all on it for myself. I learned about it very young because there there's this fixation on us having be more valuable if we have tighter vaginas or all of that. And Kegels are the only exercise that we're also taught. So some of us may be doing more damage just to echo what you're saying to ourselves by doing this so often. And we're doing the opposite effect of what we may actually want for pelvic health. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I kind of look at Kegels as like thinking that Kegels are the only exercise that you can do for your pelvic floor is kind of like saying that bicep curls are the only exercise that you can do for your shoulder, right? It's, it's very much trying to put a one size fits all approach on something that is much more complex and nuanced. And, and you're right. Like there is that kind of icky societal thing where, you know, we're told that we need to have, you know, a tight vagina or, or whatever. And so you're, kids in, in middle school are, are getting this message that they need to be doing Kegel exercises. And that is oftentimes setting them up for more voiding dysfunction, you know, whether that's bladder issues or constipation or down the line, when they do decide to become sexually active, having pain with sex, because they then have this difficulty with relaxing their muscles. And so, you know, there's, there's definitely, we need, we need to somehow get into the, the seventh grade as our country continues to grow and make new meaning of the intersection between current and historical events, it is so important to stay connected to the voices and the leaders who are influencing what progress, connection, equality, and truth mean to us as Black people. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. 
Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection from some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. When healing from an intimacy disorder, one of the first things you have to do right after getting clear on your patterns of addictive behaviors, avoiding behaviors, and living in deprivation is clearing out the roots that caused it. Clearing out the experiences, the traumas, the narratives that have kept you stuck all of these years. In my signature coaching program, The Recovery School, you have the opportunity to reveal the sources of low self-worth, to learn about how old roles in your family have resulted in codependency, shutting down, and not letting others in. And also to learn how to talk to and connect to your inner child in a way that is soothing and healing. This is the next step to reframing the old stories that have plagued you for years to evolve to being a healed and loved woman and having access to the love and the relationships and self-worth that you've always wanted. Learn more and get started by going to therecoveryschool.com. Again, that is therecoveryschool.com. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors health class and teach people about the pelvic floor and teach them kind of everything about it, not just, oh, here, do some Kegel exercises. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. Ladies, I am so excited to share that for this podcast episode, I've partnered with eHarmony, the dating app that helps people find real genuine connection. And for me, this app has absolutely held true to their promise, connecting me to a truly incredible relationship and partnership with someone who truly gets me. Dating apps can be so hard when it comes to filtering through persons who you may not have anything in common with or who may not be super serious about the process and committed. With eHarmony's one-of-a-kind compatibility quiz, you get a baseline standard in every match of your compatibility around values, communication styles, likes and dislikes, energy levels, and so much more. My experience with eHarmony has always been superb with not only the quality of men I was matched with, but also with our compatibility when dating, eliminating the stress of feeling as if I was wasting my time. So join the dating app that helps users find their most authentic relationships. eHarmony, get who gets you and start free today. Can you speak a little bit more about bowel or rectal dysfunctions? Because I don't think we hear about those as much. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, the the most common thing that I'll see is constipation, you know, and, and you can define constipation in a lot of different ways, right? People think constipation is either just, oh, I haven't had a bowel movement in a while or, you know, that their their bowel movements are you know, really difficult to pass or their stool is really hard or really dry. 
And you can define it in all of those different ways. You don't have to have all of those things. You can have a bowel movement every day and still be constipated. And that can start to have a big cumulative effect on everything. It can start, it can start to affect pelvic pain. It can start to affect bladder things. I kind of call it the theory of stuff in your pelvis. There's only so much room for all of the stuff to coexist. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we want to make sure that we are having good, you know, daily bowel movements. So as a pelvic floor therapist, I'll look at a lot of things. We'll talk a little bit about nutrition and what we can do to get, you know, a good stool type that's a little bit softer and easier to pass. We'll talk about the effect of the pelvic floor muscles. So again, the pelvic floor needs to be able to relax in order for you to have a good bowel movement. And so sometimes that's working on pelvic floor relaxation. Sometimes that's looking at your posture on the toilets, whether you need to use like a step stool or a squatty potty or something like that. But it's definitely one of those things that regardless of what the person is coming in for, I will always ask about their bowel habits because it can have such a big impact on everything else. Yeah. 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 I'm definitely going to ask you about, actually, let's just, mm, I'll just ask you now what people can expect when they go to their first appointment with a pelvic floor therapist. And what just sparked my question was, or that question is, you know, those are very invasive questions. Like not only is the process like what's going to happen, but then like the onboarding up to it is wild. It can feel wild. So can yeah. you talk to that? <laughs> it's, um, and, and I, I definitely kind of, for me, I try to get people paperwork in advance so that they can see, Hey, here's three or four pages of questions that you know, are about things that you're not used to talking about. And you may not know the answers to all of those things, but it at least gets you thinking before the appointment. And then at that initial appointment, I would say I spend mm, 75% of the time talking to you and really getting to know your history and why you're coming into therapy. So I I kind of preface my appointments with like, all right, well, we'll start out, we'll ask you a bunch of personal questions and then we'll decide what we want to do from an exam standpoint, right? So I'll ask, I mean, usually I'm the first person because I have the time built into my schedule. I'm usually the first person that gets to hear their full story and actually gets to start to put some of these pieces together because they go to the urologist, all they want to hear about is the bladder. They go to their gynecologist, all they want to hear about is periods. They go to a gastroenterologist, they only want to hear about the bowel side of things. I'm trying to take all of that and put all of that together because I know that the pelvic floor is kind of that shared component between all of those things. So I'll ask, you know, everything from how often are you going to the bathroom? Do you have difficulty emptying your bladder all the way? What are you eating and drinking during the day? You know, what, you know, what are your bowel movements? Like, do you have pelvic pain? Do you have pain during sex? You know, we'll ask about your childbirth history, if you've had any particular, you know, particularly traumatic or difficult childbirths or any other injuries or traumas that might be relevant to what's going on. Usually I'll also at that point probably screen for if somebody has any history of sexual trauma, because that would also kind of play into how we approach doing any kind of exam. I certainly don't expect that I'm going to do an internal exam with people on the first visit. Usually kind of talk through it and see what somebody's comfortable with because we can certainly say, okay, we're just going to do kind of the close on version of things today. I'm going to look at your hips. I'm going to look at your back. I'm going to look at your abdomen. If people are comfortable with a pelvic floor exam, we can just start with an external portion of the pelvic floor exam. So that would be basically just looking at the area between your pubic bone and your tailbone to see what happens when those muscles try to contract, relax, bear down. We can gently press on muscles on the outside, looking for tenderness or anything that reproduces any of the symptoms that the person's coming in for. If we decide to do an internal exam, 
depending on the person's anatomy, that's either a vaginal or a rectal exam. And it's not, there's no stirrups, there's no speculum, there's no scary stuff. It's very much just a, you know, easygoing, we're just mapping out the muscles. The goal is not to leave you in more pain than when you came in. You know, I, I don't want this to be a scary sounding experience. I want this to be something where you come away with more knowledge about your body. Right. And so, you know, if we, if we do that internal exam, then we're able to kind of get more of the full picture. And then I'm able to give you a little bit more in terms of homework, whether that's breathing exercises or stretches, or in some cases, Kegel exercises, you know, it really just kind of depends on what that person's coming in for. Yes. I love that. I, you know, I found that pelvic floor therapy is such a holistic process. I mean, what you just said, bringing all of these medical expertise and silos together, instead of just hitting a symptom of a problem and not really getting at the root of it. And I think it's just beautiful that you can solve these really complicated, what feels like chronic lifelong issues without medication a lot of times, just from getting at the organic root and giving you exercises and learning how to connect to those parts of your body. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty awesome. That's like, I always have this image in my mind of like, I want medical care to be all of your specialists sitting in a room together and like really collaboratively discussing your case. And unfortunately the way that our medical system is set up, we don't really get that. And mm-hmm. so I feel like what I do is kind of the closest that I'm going to get to that in terms of having a little bit of a knowledge base, you know, and then hopefully also having good relationships with, you know, their gastroenterologist, with their GYN, where I can call them up and ask them if there is something that goes outside of my scope. Yeah, absolutely. Before we talk about kind of the emotional impact of this, I do have listeners who either identify as male or are trans and haven't fully transitioned. So can we spend a little bit of time talking about what pelvic floor physical therapy looks like for men, how different it may look, if anything? Sure. so. Mm -hmm. So, so I would say that a lot of it, we, I feel like sometimes we try to make it out like it's going to be more different than it is. All bodies have pelvic floor muscles. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the, the, basically the difference is the number of access points for an internal exam, right? You know, we, we look at in men, for example, or people with penises, a lot of times they'll present with symptoms that is, they call it prostatitis, at least their urologist will call it that. But a lot of times there's no bacteria present. And so it kind of becomes this chronic inflammatory process. That's actually more of a musculoskeletal hypertonic pelvic floor type situation, but nobody knows to really call it that, but it responds in a lot of the same ways. We do gentle stretching. We do some breathing exercises. We do maybe some trigger point work or some manual therapy, and it helps those muscles to settle down so that they're not having the urinary symptoms, the sexual symptoms, the things that they were coming in and complaining about before. Another big time that I'll see male patients is usually people who are maybe in their like late fifties into their seventies. And that's going to be more of the post prostatectomy crowd because in general, men aren't going to have stress incontinence because of some just extra supports that are built into their anatomy. But if they have to have a prostatectomy for cancer, then a lot of times they will end up with that stress incontinence. And so that's doing a lot of strength training and pressure management training with those folks. But I would say, you know, for, for anybody that's listening, like there's, there's more similar than there is different. 
And so that's why I try to use really inclusive language when I talk about these things. You know, even, even though I think the assumption is kind of made on my channel sometimes that like, oh, these bladder things are for, you know, the cis women that are listening to these videos, right? A lot of the bladder training stuff, the overactive bladder stuff, a lot of that really applies to everybody, no matter your anatomy. So yeah, yeah. So since you said bladder, can you can you just verify or clarify if stress incontinence means that you struggle, you have to go all the time. Is that what that means? So actually, no. So stress incontinence relates to like a physical stress on the body. So think things like coughing, sneezing, jumping. So kind of the the mom sneeze pee, that's, that's what we call stress incontinence. A lot of times people will think, oh, like stress incontinence, like I'm stressed, I'm anxious, and I feel like I have to pee all the time. And that can sometimes be a symptom of more like overactive bladder or urge incontinence. Sometimes that can be driven by you know, kind of an elevated nervous system state, but it's not, it's stress incontinence and urge incontinence are going to be two different things. Yeah. Yeah. How often should we be paying throughout the pain? How often should we be peeing urinating throughout the day? So normal time between trips to the bathroom is about every three hours. And I'll kind of give the grace period of two to four hours because some people are drinking more water than I generally say that you should. And so we should be able to at least hold for two hours, even if you're one of those people out there drinking, you know, almost a gallon of water a day, but then you don't want to be holding longer than like four hours because then that can start to kind of cause problems on its own. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we always blows my mind when I hear you say we should not get up during the night to pee or we should not have to get up throughout the night to pee. Yes. So it's, it's one of those very controversial statements, right? Where if you're somebody who has always gotten up at night to pee, you're like, how? I can't even imagine, right? Yeah. But some of that is, again, kind of patterns that we've gotten into with our urinary health. You know, maybe it's because you drink all the way up until bedtime, or maybe you're having something that's a bladder irritant or that's causing you to produce more urine and you're drinking that all the way up until bedtime. Sure. Maybe you have a capacity issue or maybe you have to get up once, but you know, in, in a normal fluid intake scenario, right. Where we're drinking 64 ounces of water a day and, you know, maybe having like a cup of coffee or something like that, you really shouldn't be having to get up at night. And possibly the reason why you are in that situation is because you've kind of gotten into the habit of it. Sometimes you'll wake up and you won't really feel like you have to go, but you're like, well, I'm awake. I might as well just go. And so that over time is going to tell your body to wake you up and send that signal. So, yes, I believe you. I'm, I'm a convert of the gospel, but I also just (laughs) at night, I'm like, I could train myself, like Dr. Alicia says, to stop doing this, or I can just get up. I'm just going to get up so I can go back to sleep, but I'm just reinforcing the problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and, and, you know, again, it's, it's part of it is so long as you have the knowledge, right? So I talk about this with bladder irritants. I'm not telling you that you can never have a glass of wine at night ever again, because you're going to get up and pee, but it's good to know, oh, the reason that I got up to pee is probably because I had that glass of wine before I went to bed, right? It's just kind of that empowerment in knowledge so that we don't have this freak out of like, Ooh, something different is happening. I don't know why this is happening to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Let's talk about how this can affect us emotionally, because this is a podcast that talks about our emotions, our trauma, our self-esteem, right, and our relationships. So you are seeing people with some very sensitive, vulnerable issues, right? Can you talk about how this affects your client's self-esteem, like what you've seen, and also how you support them through that? 
Of course. I mean, I think this, this spans, you know, the pretty much every diagnosis that I treat, right? The, the tendency is to want to jump to, you know, pain with sex and saying that, you know, obviously if you have pain with sex, that can affect a relationship. It can affect how you communicate with your partner. It can affect, you know, every, you know, a lot of things about that relationship and, and pelvic pain in general, how that affects you know, your, your kind of caregiver role or, or vice versa with your, with your partner. But I would say, you know, even if somebody has stress incontinence, let's say, you know, let's say you had a baby and you were a marathon runner before you had a baby and now you can't run without peeing yourself, that's going to significantly affect your body image, right? Because something that you previously really strongly identified with and maybe used for your own, you know, mental health has now been taken away from you or modified in such a way that it doesn't let you feel like the old you in a lot of ways. And so I've definitely seen people where, you know, not having access to support for pelvic floor therapy has really affected their mental health. And so it's, it's really great for me when I'm able to kind of show them how to get back into these things so that they can get that little piece of them back, you know, and then we can jump back to the the pelvic pain and pain with sex. I've had people who came from very highly religious backgrounds who had vaginismus, which is a type of pelvic floor dysfunction that basically means that anytime anything tries to enter the vagina, the pelvic floor muscles will kind of clamp down and say, nope, nothing's coming in here. And so I have had people who waited until marriage, did everything that they were supposed to do, and then they get to you know, finally consummate their marriage with their husband and they're unable to do that. You know, I've had people who are married for, you know, a year or more and they haven't been able to figure it out because the muscles are so clamped down. And so then they start into this spiral of, oh my gosh, I thought I did everything that my religion wanted of me. Am I a bad believer? Have I done something wrong in God's eyes? And so there's there's certainly, you know, layers and layers of this that we need to kind of peel back in terms of giving that person their, you know, control of their body back, but also just building back that confidence that like, this wasn't something that you did, you know, you have done nothing wrong. And so it's, it's going to be very individual dependent, but you, you know, it's, it's very important just to support people where they are and and to let them know that like their pelvic floor dysfunction is, is absolutely in no way their fault. I love that because I think that is absolutely what makes so many of us feel alone is the, is the shame of it, or we feel shameful because we feel so alone. Like we're the only ones Mm -hmm. who are going through it. And that everybody else is just free, (laughs) you know, because nobody's talking about it. And so they assume that everybody else is fine and that they're going to get some kind of shame if they try to bring it up to anybody. And, and a lot of times that's reinforced by, you know, unfortunately by healthcare providers, right? Sometimes people will try going to their primary care or their GYN or somebody like that. And they'll say, oh, I'm having pain with sex or I can't figure this out. And they'll say, oh, just drink a glass of wine. You know, it's supposed to hurt. They'll reinforce those negative things that we've already said, like, okay, like this isn't normal. There are things that we can do to treat this, but they're getting these messages that it's something that is on them to handle, that they're not doing something right. And that, oh, this is just easy for everybody else. I don't know why you can't get this. And so that just contributes more to that, you know, shame associated with it. 
Yeah. It's all in your head. All, all of that. Right. So in addition to working to you, do you sometimes recommend clients go see a therapist or are there any specific practitioners you refer them to? Absolutely. So, so I always recommend that anybody who's coming to see me with any kind of pelvic pain complaint, be working with a mental health professional, you know, and especially if we have somebody with vaginismus or dyspareunia, you know, incorporating working with a sex therapist can often be really, really helpful if we can find somebody, you know, available in the area. Unfortunately, the the thing is, is like sex therapists are amazing. Like they are cooler than me. Like their knowledge base is just amazing, but there are so few of them. And it's like, I just want to like collect them and be like, okay, ready. I'm ready to deploy you to all of my people that need help, but it's so hard to find them. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. Especially with COVID. I mean, I feel like if any of us were pausing with therapy, COVID was like, okay, it's time to go talk to somebody. Yes. And so it's been beautiful for many of us, but it's also been very congested and kind of mm-hmm. hard to find folks. So okay. Um, okay. all the therapists I know seem like they are expanding though and bringing folks on. So hopefully that transition continues to happen. Yeah. I want to ask you a little bit more about practitioners and how to deal with any Blacks there. But before I do that, I just wanted to say, just going back for people who are listening or people who are in relationship with folks who have penises, people with penises, whether it's a brother, father, partner, or whatever, another disorder that pelvic PTs can support with is erectile dysfunction. Is that right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, so the pelvic floor muscles are involved in erectile function. Basically, you know, when you have like when ejaculation occurs, the pelvic floor muscles need to rhythmically contract, right? And so they're if they're not working appropriately, that can lead to not only issues with erectile dysfunction um, in terms of getting an erection and maintaining an erection, but also, you know, things like premature ejaculation that can also be related to pelvic floor dysfunction. So yeah, it's again, we're more similar than we are different. Yeah, yeah. And again, there's so many solutions for these things that some of us just feel like we're doomed to experience either because of our age or because of what society says, but it doesn't have to be stressful. It can be easier and we can be connecting a little bit more to each other. So thank you for sharing that. So if I want to, if I'm listening and I'm ready to schedule an appointment with a pelvic PT, what's the process? How do I get started? So whether you need a referral is going to depend on the state that you live in and what your insurance is. Because in many states, we have something called direct access for physical therapy, which means that you can see a physical therapist without a doctor's referral. So if if you go to look for a pelvic PT, you can search on a couple of different websites. The ones that I really like are pelvicrehab.com, pelvicguru.com, and then apta.pelvichealth.org. They all have directory listings where you can search by your location and you can generally see you know, what additional certifications that person may have. In an ideal world, you look for somebody who has an advanced certification in pelvic floor rehab, and that's either going to be a PRPC, which is a pelvic rehab practitioner certification, or a WCS, which is a women's health certified specialist. And even though it says women's health certified specialist, it means kind of pelvic health more broadly. They just haven't changed the name of the certification yet. Okay. Awesome. So the way I would find out if my state has that wall, Mm -hmm. can I just call the office directly to find out or do my Google? Yeah. I mean, you can definitely Google 
you know, Massachusetts physical therapy direct access, and it will come up and it will say, okay, Massachusetts has full direct access. But for example, when I lived in Florida, I believe the rule was you could start seeing a physical therapist without a referral, but you needed to get one or get a signed plan of care within 30 calendar days. And so, you know, there's just, there's different rules for every state. And then also just, I would 100% call your insurance and see, you know, what their requirements are in terms of referrals or scripts for PT or anything like that. I have had people who have called their insurance company asking specifically about pelvic floor physical therapy, and they kind of get weird answers from people. I would want to definitely say that pelvic floor physical therapy is covered under your regular physical therapy benefit with your insurance. It's not a separate thing that they would be looking for because again, like not every physical therapist is a pelvic floor therapist, but we are physical therapists by trade. And so that's what it falls under. Awesome. Great. So let's say I do have to go to a doctor and they're giving me the runaround or a hard time. Do you have any suggestions on how to handle that? So, you know, I, I certainly think that if you lay out, I'm having X, Y, Z symptom. And I really think that I would benefit from pelvic floor physical therapy because of this research that I've done. And they say, no, I would probably ask for them to document their refusal in my chart, because then there's a record of you having asked for it and them saying no. If, you know, at least a lot of times with women, we have a primary care provider, we have an OBGYN, we maybe have a couple of different people that we can be asking for this from. So if one of them says no, I would go to another one and, and hopefully, you know, that person is going to be more receptive to it. But I would also be kind of thinking, you know, whether that provider that said no is somebody that you really want on your team. There are definitely resources if you really can't get a referral in place. There's definitely online consultations that you can do with different people. So I don't offer them, but I have a few friends who do offer online consultations and sometimes it's paying out of pocket, but it's not going to be the same as like a cash pay type PT, you know, full service PT thing. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, I appreciate that <laughs> for when you need that support to have that discount. And that's really helpful. So thank you so much for all that. It, when so, If someone's kind of wondering, especially if they've been dealing with something chronically for a long time, mm-hmm. I know it's different for every single person and also every yeah. single disorder, but is there a range between how many sessions people can expect to go? You know, I, I have seen people with pelvic pain get better done out the door in as little as six sessions. And I've seen people where I've seen them for over a year because it's something that's, you know, chronic that they've had for a while. And there's also usually some kind of underlying condition. So maybe that person also has, you know, endometriosis and they haven't been able to have excision surgery yet. And so we're kind of fighting the battle of, managing symptoms while they're waiting to actually treat the underlying disease process. So it's really going to kind of depend on all of the other different factors that are going on there. Oh, wow. So you just said something that I had no idea about because endometriosis and PCOS are so common in the Black community. So what are some reasons that women who have those disorders will come to pelvic PT? So with endometriosis in particular, a lot of times, 
times they can have similar to what we were talking about before, where when there's some kind of underlying disease process, it can cause the pelvic floor muscles to guard up. So if they have excessive inflammation in their reproductive organs, their pelvic floor is basically going to be like, ah, what is happening here? Their abdominal wall can also do the same thing. So think your hip flexors, your abs, all of those things can all get really guarded up. And so that can also create abdominal pain and things like that. And so we can certainly be working on muscle relaxation, but we, we want to kind of think too about the underlying disease. So with endometriosis, the gold standard is excision surgery, where they actually go in and cut out the endometriosis where it exists within the body cavity. And so then we would want to make sure that we're preventing, you know, adhesions from forming, keeping the tissue nice and mobile afterwards in order to help with those kind of residual pain complaints. But yeah, it's, it's basically, you know, you can, you can develop that spasm in the pelvic floor and the abdomen and all of that just from, you know, the disease process kind of creating that environment. Awesome. Yeah. And same thing with PCOS then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. Great. Well, this has been so helpful and so amazing. And I just hope everyone who's been battling and struggling with something finds a pelvic PT that they enjoy and that they can trust. And also, if you still have some doubt, maybe Google what you've been going through and then also pelvic PT and see if this could be a possible solution and make a decision from there. Do you have any supportive or encouraging words to share with my audience members before we close and we tell them where they can find you? Sure. I, I definitely think, you know, it's, it's a very scary world out there when you have these types of conditions and the answers are out there. I would just highly encourage you to get a strong team behind your back, whether that's, you know, healthcare professionals, whether that's friends, whether that's family, this is definitely these types of conditions are things where we need a village. We need to be talking to people about these conditions. The more people know, the more we're going to understand and be able to support each other. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Love it. (laughs) So yeah. So can you tell us where people can find you, where you practice, where your social media platform is and everything? Sure. So I practice at Greater Boston Urology in Dedham, Massachusetts. I'm the manager of the physical therapy program there. And then my social media accounts, I'm on TikTok and Instagram as the pelvic dance floor. Yes. And that name is because Alicia is a fantastic dancer. (laughs) She's on all the trends and hilarious. And so she's doing TikTok right. That's why she's going viral because she's educating and helping us and making us laugh at the same time. So thank you so much again for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.